Welcome to Courageous Leadership with Virginia Prodan, training you to lead with courage. Hello, everyone. We are so happy to have you again here. We are so grateful for your faithfulness, for your desire to learn to be a courageous leader, especially during this time in our country and even around the world. We are so happy that, in fact, this podcast started at your um, desire and your question and answers. As many of you read my uh, memoir, Saving My Assassin, many of you ask, how can I be a courageous leader? How can I find the courageous leader in me? So I'm glad you are here. And I am glad that uh, our podcast not only shares how to be a courageous leader from my own experience, not only in Romania, but here in America, but we also love to invite courageous leaders um, to our podcast so they can share with us their courageous leadership journey. and. One of our guests, our guest for today is a courageous leader. His name is Lawrence Reed. He's the president emeritus and Humphrey Family Senior Fellow and Ron Manners Global Ambassador for Liberty. We all should be ambassadors for liberty. Thank you so very much, lady. With, for coming here. And uh, if you want to introduce yourself to our audience and our viewers, please do it. Okay. Thank you very much, Virginia, for having me. I'm deeply honored, uh, in part because since my high school days, I have been a great believer in uh, courageous people in difficult places who uh, put their lives and their reputations on the line to fight for liberty. And you certainly did that in Romania. And so did so many others. And uh, much of that uh, continent is free today because of courageous people who exhibited the skills and the talents and the courage of the leadership that you so often talk about. Yes, that is so true. And today, America needs courageous leaders. America needs people in every area. And people sometimes they will say, oh, I don't have what you have. Uh, I, um, I'm i not sure if I know how to do it. S- several times people, I, I notice people when they contact me in different uh, forms, they will say, well, I don't have the blueprint. But we all know that yes. we never had a blueprint. We have one step at a time. So... With that, would you share with us how you start your journey? Okay. Way back in high school in the late 1960s, I had no knowledge of current events in the world. I was not focused on those things. But uh, when the Soviet Union invaded Czechoslovakia in August of 1968, I was only 14, but I was riveted by what I saw on the television. And I felt uh, uh, terrible for the uh, Czech people, and I wanted to do something. But of course, what can a 14-year-old in Western Pennsylvania in 1968 do to help people half a world away? Well, within a few days, I saw uh, uh, an advertisement in our local newspaper that said uh, in a couple of days, there would be a demonstration in downtown Pittsburgh 
against the Soviet invasion. So I got a bus ticket and permission from my parents, and I went the 30 miles to Pittsburgh and joined in. We burned the Soviet flag in downtown Pittsburgh, and at that point I joined an organization called Young Americans for Freedom. And in those days, as soon as you joined that group, you got a good box of literature, uh, including uh, uh, F.A. Hayek's famous book, The Road to Serfdom, uh, Economics of One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt, and some other literature to broaden your understanding of what it means to be for liberty, because it's not enough to simply oppose uh, an invasion. You have to understand the, the morality, the economics, uh, the political principles of what it means to live in a free society. And I devoted uh, the rest of my life to promoting those things as a think tank president and for seven years as a college professor. That is wonderful what you said um, with uh, the invasion, the Soviet invasion reminds me how our dictator used that for his advantage. Yeah, he was yeah. the only, he was the only uh, president in the East, uh, Eastern Bloc who raised his voice and said that was wrong what the Russian did. And for many Westerners, they took that that he was for freedom, yeah. but that was that was not that was not correct. He he took advantage that people applauded him, invited him in different areas, and suppressed us even more because he had um, outside uh, support. So yeah. and he tried to keep Romania as isolated as possible from Westerners. In fact, I call Romania under his regime a land of lies and a prison land. Yeah, uh, so exactly right. And what the Soviets were doing to Czechoslovakia, he was doing to his own people. Yes, exactly, exactly. So we have to be very aware that. Um, the socialist system works on lies. They will present a wonderful picture, but behind the screen, it's going to be a horrendous, horrendous um, uh, isolation. Uh, people will uh, be uh, taken away from uh, all the opportunities or possibility to raise their voice or to um, be able to communicate with others. Uh, fake news and lies are part of socialists. So yeah. uh, for many Americans that they don't um, never experience socialists, um, it might sound good, it might sound wonderful, uh, but it's not. I live under, and I know exactly. Also, um, I hope, that American people will understand how clever the liberals and people using nice words, like uh, exactly, they use exactly the books of the socialist uh, leaders that they use for hundreds of years in, in Russia, in Romania, in China, whatever. Uh, yeah. So I hope um, American people will 
open their eyes and mind to understand there is a difference between what those uh, lovers of socialism are saying with their own words and what they will create for us. Exactly. And you put it so well, Virginia, when you stress that socialists uh, use lies. They are uh, moral relativists at best, meaning that uh, they don't regard truth as something that is uh, firm and unchanging, uh, let alone uh, from a higher authority, from God himself. Instead, they think that truth is whatever serves their agenda. And so uh, they will lie and think nothing of it. They don't believe they're going to be accountable to any higher authority, that there is no afterlife where they may have to pay for their crimes. And they think that they're better than every other person and that um, they should use political power to force people to live the way they think they should live. I mean, socialism, by definition, is not voluntary. It never is. It can't be. In fact, if it was, if it was was voluntary, I would say to socialists, well, why do you need to change the system? If it's voluntary, you can do that now. You know, go go form a commune and, uh, you know, of, of willing participants and see what you can do. But no, uh, they can't do it voluntarily. They have to use the state to, to force people uh, to do what they think they should do. That is so correct. And not only that, they uh, will create out of a government their own gut. God will not be allowed to be praised. And people that will praise God like Christians will be persecuted because one of the things that socialist doesn't like is a loyal Christian to Christ. We are respectful to the government, no matter if it's a, a capitalist or, or communist. I, I lived under a socialist communist government and I was respectful, but I spoke the truth to them. So um, when they present, even right now, these liberals uh, freedom like a program from, from uh, the government, they are building the way for us to accept socialists. Freedom, yeah. it's a gift from God. The Bible tells us you will know the truth, Jesus Christ, and the truth should make you free. Not the government, not your own skill, nothing else. So I hope people will um, realize the lies and what they are building. It's like giving you uh, something, that what they call for free, to lock you up in, in a cage. Yeah, I like to say that government has nothing to give anybody except what it first takes from somebody. And a government that's big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take away everything you've got. Yeah, that is so true. And uh, there are consequences. When you read in the Bible, you see in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, God is a God of justice. God is a God of love and has lots of patience. If we believe that we can turn uh, our back to God and do whatever we want, uh, have abortion, change the definition of marriage, um, do all kind of things and uh, against God and believe that America is going to be blessed, we are lying to ourselves. That is yeah, going to be... Yeah, I think socialists realize, uh, at least deep down, even if they won't publicly admit it, 
that if there is a God who believes in justice, then they, socialists, are in trouble because a God who believes in justice will hold accountable people who use political force against their fellow uh, men and women, people who deceive, people who lie, people who try to buy people off with other people's money. None of that stuff is uh, uh, is Christian in any way. And socialists know that uh, uh, God is their competition. So that's why they don't want God. That's why they don't believe in God. God will hold them accountable and they don't believe in that. And uh, you're right. And also, this is the reason why they don't like they don't like Christians, because Christians will do what is right and correct, because they believe that there is a God above them, that they will respond first to God and then to government or to your boss or to a human being. Um, also, we know that even if they have a temporary um uh, power, like dictator had a temporary power in my life in Romania. The uh, Proverbs uh, 21, uh, 30 tells us clear, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed yeah. against the Lord. Christ has eternal power. He might allow us to teach, uh, you know, a socialist or a dictator or people that will take away our freedom. God might allow us to bring us back to him, but they don't have uh, um, nothing else but a temporary power. And like you said, they will, they will uh, one day pay, if not here, one day in eternity will pay for their their actions. So uh, they lie about everything. Uh, Yes. There's even a... uh, a movement uh, among socialists now to convince people that Jesus was a socialist. Well, uh, about a year and a half ago, I wrote a book on this very subject. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, called Was Jesus a Socialist? And I point out in there that Jesus never advocated the concentration of earthly political power. He never advocated the forcible redistribution of wealth or the central planning of an economy, or government ownership of the means of production. All these things that are what socialism is all about. In fact, when a man approached him and asked him to do a, a little redistributing, uh, the man said to Jesus, uh, Master, speak to my brother that he divideth the inheritance with me. In other words, use your power to redistribute the wealth here. I think I should get more. And Jesus did not say, oh, well, we'll look into it. Or if you didn't get your share, we'll take it from the other guy. No, what he said was, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Take heed and beware of covetousness. And elsewhere in the New Testament, you find Jesus telling parables that have a very strong pro-private property, pro-freedom, pro-individual responsibility message. How about the Good Samaritan? Why do we think of him as good? Because when he came upon a man in need, he didn't say to the man, oh, well, there must be a government program for you or call your social worker. See you later. No, he helped the man of his own free will and with his own resources. If he had done any of those other things, we would not think of him today as the good Samaritan. We would think of him as the good for nothing Samaritan. And on and on. Jesus drove money changers from the temple, but he didn't drive them from a bank or a marketplace. They were defiling the house of God. They sh- and if you showed up at a funeral with a kazoo 
and started playing Happy Days Are Here Again, you're going to be asked to leave. And uh, that's essentially what Jesus was doing. But time and again, socialists today uh, lie to make people, to make gullible Christians think that Jesus himself was a socialist. They say, well, he was for the poor. Well, yeah, he was. But he never said the way to uh, solve problems of poverty is for the government to take from some and give to others, rob Peter to pay Paul. If he came back today and spoke to a large audience of people, and let's suppose he said, okay, tell me, what did you do for the poor? If you raised your hand and said, well, I voted for the politicians who said they would take care of that, I can assure you Jesus would not be impressed. He would say, what? I told you to do something about that. I didn't tell you to vote to have some politician rob Peter to pay Paul and get the job done at twice the price. Yeah, that is so true. And he also said that you will have poor with you all the time, which means there is a reason why he allowed people to be. Maybe some of them, they don't have or they never developed the skill to manage. Some of them might be for any other reason. I don't pretend to have the answer for that. But one of the reasons is not to wait for government but yeah. for us, for Christians to be the hands of Christ and share them, and not only to be the, the hands of Christ, but to equip these people to become independent. And that's whatever right. we, we, we are, we can do that. And that's part of being courageous. And we also notice, I have been here for 33 years in America, and I notice gradually that the government tries as much as possible to develop the welfare system and hook people to uh, this system in order to vote for them. But yes. also I noticed another, another path that they developed to try to uh, put as many obstacles in a path of churches and Christians to help uh, people in need, poor people, because they want to have monopoly. They yeah. want to be the only one, so those people will depend on uh, on uh, on God. How would you um, um, encourage someone in this situation when you know their city or or their state might have all kind of rules on all kind of things? to block the Christians or uh, uh, like a church or individual Christians to help those homeless or poor people? Well, several things. One, I would say don't vote for the politicians who create those obstacles. And if they're in office today, throw them out at the next election. And then secondarily, uh, find ways in which you can quietly be of assistance to those genuinely in need through no fault of their own. Uh, do it anyway on your own or through your church or whatever way you can. Uh, sometimes uh, what the poor need the most are not material things, but rather uh, good counseling, because sometimes their poverty stems from uh, some behavioral problems, some bad habits, some poor choices. And the best thing you can do for them is to convince them in a lovingly way uh, that they should avoid those behaviors and, and focus on self-improvement. You know, another reason why we have poverty is that uh, the government creates it and then pays people to stay poor. 
because, uh, as you pointed out, they use it as a means to buy votes at the ballot box. Vote for me and I'll get you more. Vote for me and I'll do something for you. And uh, I would just say to people, don't be suckers for this stuff. I mean, the politicians are using you when they say that. And uh, if you believe that the politicians can solve poverty better, better than you and I and other private people can do through our churches and other associations, you're, you're fooling yourself because government just creates dependency from one generation to another. They cynically buy votes with the whole process and they don't ask for accountability in return. You know, if I give to a charity and I find out that, oh, they're just subsidizing bad behavior, they're not changing anything, then I, I say, okay, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna write you a check anymore. But of course, government doesn't hold anybody accountable. They just say, oh, you want money? You need money? Here's a check. And so that in many cases, they're simply subsidizing and continuing the bad behavior that created the poverty in the first place. That is so correct. It comes to my mind. I, uh, I'm, I'm reading a book, and in that book, the author is talking about several people that at a young age started a business, but not in a right way, and they got homeless. And there were people that reached out to them in that hard, hard time in their lives and change the course of their lives. And yeah. now they are millionaires because someone realized this person made a mistake, but I can help them. Also, yeah. I remember at least two big actors that are sharing at the time they were homeless because they yeah. couldn't find a job or anything, how mm. someone uh, reached out to them and helped them. In fact, there was one very famous uh, comedian, an actor, that for every single movie, he made a contract that in that movie, at least 10 homeless will be hired for different roles, small roles. So um, it's amazing to me that those people never forgot how somebody reached out to them. They didn't look for uh, the welfare system and everything who, like you said, cuts off the, your wings, yeah. but they accepted individual uh, help and they never forgot those people and encourage others to do the same. Yes, in spite, of, out. In, in spite of all the things that government does to put obstacles in our way of helping people, and in, all, in spite of all the ways in which it creates poverty, we are still a very generous people in this country. I don't know yes. that there's yes. ever been a, a time when, when somebody who really needed help went to the Salvation Army or the Red Cross or to a church and was told to get lost. I've never heard of that. I mean, that's so unbelievable and so rare if it happens at all. People still help when uh, they sense that the person really needs it and uh, that their predicament is not of their own making. Um, and, you know, even liberals, socialists, progressives, whatever you want to call them, they kind of behave that same way in their personal lives. Uh, you know, let's imagine if you won uh, $100,000 in the lottery, let's say. So all of a sudden you got a lot of money and you decide you want to help people with it. Would it even occur to you to write out a check to the Federal Department of Health and Human Services? 
No, nobody writes checks to the government except the ones they're forced to, called taxes. Nobody does it. Not even not even liberals do that. I mean, every year the U.S. government has a place in its budget for gifts, you know, but nobody gifts it anything. <laughs> so if you want to help people, no matter where you are in the political spectrum, you know instinctively that the best way to do that is to give it to private people, private organizations, not some uh, bureaucratic agency of government. That is so true. And you mentioned that we as people, we are very generous. I will say I uh, uh, watch the American people from Romania overseas, and I have been here for 33 years. I can say indeed that there is no people like American people, generous, kind, ready to help. And we brought Christ and freedom and prosperity to so many countries. And it's time for us to bring Christ and prosperity and help uh, keep freedom back to America. That's That's what we need to do. Everywhere in the world that you look, you find that the, the freer the country or the more Christian a country, or if it's both very free and very Christian, you'll find they are the biggest givers. They are the philanthropists. The socialist countries of the world are always the ones who are begging for the rest of the world to give them something uh, because they don't create wealth in the first place. They, they manufacture poverty, and then the free countries of the world have to bail them out. Yeah, you are so correct. Well, Larry, thank you so very much for coming to our podcast, for sharing your values. I hope our audience, our viewers will take to heart and will do what is right because we need to be courageous leaders where God placed us. And surely we're going to invite you again because you have so much to offer. You're very kind, Virginia. Thank you so much and uh, best wishes for the holidays. And a very happy new year. And to your listeners, I want to say thank you for for listening to Virginia and her message of of freedom, uh, because it's just so important. Thank you. If you want to know more about Virginia Prodan, her coaching program, buy her book, Saving My Assassin, or invite Virginia to speak at your events, visit virginiaprodanbooks.com.